Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Gary Sabo. Gary is an attorney practicing transactional law in Maryland, and he has 12 apps in the App Store. Welcome to the show, Gary. Garrick, thanks for having me. My pleasure. How's it going? It's going well. It's um, it's 10, 1020 on the East Coast here, and uh, just watching the uh, Game 7 of the World Series is on. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. So what, is it 3-3 right now? Uh, Cubs are up 6, I think 6-3. But in the series, it's 3-3? Yeah, yeah, it's game seven, yeah. And the Cubs are winning what? I believe it's 6-3, Cubs. Wow, wow, wow. And what's the inning? It's looking good for Chicago. It's like the sixth, sixth inning. Wow, wow, wow. I have to be honest, uh, you know, I mean, I'm in L.A., so I'm like a Dodgers fan by default. I, I don't really care ultimately, but I think it's good for the city, you know, when your team wins. But I was kind of rooting for the Cubs uh, when they were playing the Dodgers because, like, the Cubs haven't won, I guess, you know, in a really long time. And there's like that whole thing against the Cubs, I guess. And like it was in Back to the Future even. Exactly. And I was really rooting for them last year because had they won last year, then, you know, the movie would have predicted it. But um, oh, it, it, it might turn out to be a year later. Right, right, right. Right on. Well, go, go Cubs or whoever wins, I guess. Good for them. Uh, all right, so you're in New York, yeah, and I'm in uh, I'm in LA. It's uh, kind of I guess this might be like one of the later times I've recorded uh, this podcast. It's it's nice to have you on. Thank you for staying up late, sure. Um, you know for us. So, so it, it's actually it's actually Maryland. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. I, I for some reason keep thinking New York. I don't know why. East Even Coast. I, <laughs> you know what? That's exactly what it is. When we first um, talked to each other, I think. I was like, I'm in Pacific, you're in East Coast. Whenever I see EST, East Coast, uh, East Standard Time or whatever, um, I think New York. Sure. So, um, okay, you're in Maryland. I've actually been to Maryland one time um, when I went to Washington, D.C. I think I went over to the Maryland side or, or something like that. Yeah, that's like three hours east of here. This is kind of, it's kind of in the mountains. Um, I, easiest way to think of it is like two hours south of Pittsburgh. Okay. So you're a bit of a mountain man. Yeah. <laughs> right on, right Snowbo on. Snowboarder. Oh, cool. I grew yeah. up snowboarding. Yeah, right yeah. on. Is there snowboarding in Maryland? Yeah, it's funny. Um, there is. It's it's not it's nothing like out west, but um, you know, it's the Appalachian Mountains, so um but you know, terrain parks, as long as long as you're into that sort of thing, you can kinda have that anywhere, so Right on, right on. So as I mentioned, uh, Gary is an attorney, uh, like me actually, but he, I think you still practice, you practice transactional law, but you have a bunch of apps in the app store. Uh, a little bit about how Gary and I met. A couple weeks ago, Gary emailed me, and uh, what did, what was going on there? Why'd you email me, Gary? Yeah, Gary, well, your, your podcast, um, I'm a big, big fan of podcasts, and actually it's helped me learn um, you know, I, I sort of picking up things by osmosis. I remember when I used to listen to podcasts about development and just have no idea what <laughs> what they were talking about. And now, you know, you know, it all makes sense now. But um, yeah, I started listening to one of one of your podcasts, and um, there there was a few um, where you interviewed sort of indie developers like myself, and that really struck a chord with me because. Um, you know, so often you hear people talking about working for big companies and working for teams, but it's a, it's a, it's a really, um, you know, it's kind of a unique scenario that I think some of us share when, you know, you're the one writing the code, you're the one doing the marketing, you're doing the design. And, um, I remember the last one I remember was a, a guy who's in the Coast Guard. Right. And, um, and yeah, that was a really good episode. Nick Saka, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you not only are you an indie developer, but you're you're a developer sort of like uh, you're not a developer by day, you know, you're a developer by night, right? You know, and so is Nick Saka, and I think that's also very interesting. And you're not the only person that responded with that. Like the, I don't, know, I think hearing about people's stories uh, like you, like Nick, like mine, going from an attorney to a full time developer, like hearing those stories. 
uh, for people out there who are in that similar situation, they're doing one thing and maybe transitioning or thinking about trans- transitioning. Um, it, it gives people hope. It gives people insight. And that's the whole point of the, the podcast. I like to interview, um, you know, it's called Swift Coders. It's not called like people who are professional Swift developers podcast, right? right. So like who are right. the people? And, and I knew that going in that Swift is going to attract lots of different people. I mean, it, I think, look at me, you know? And so right. that's, um, well, yeah. Okay. So you were, you were thinking that in your head and what you just emailed me or what was going on there? Yeah, just wanted to tell you, you know, that as, um, you know, had had been paying attention and thought it was a great podcast and um, kind of the keep up, you know, these sorts of interviews, because that there were people out there who appreciated um, hearing from other indie devs like like myself. Right on. Yeah. And so when I got that email, I agreed. And uh, your story sounded interesting. Uh, you know, attorney with 12 apps in the app store. I'm an attorney as well. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So here you, here you are. I mean, the last episode I put out um, was Erica Sadoon. The one before that is Chris Eidhoff. Um, but then the one before that, I don't remember what that is. So I'm like trying to get a mix, you know, of like people who are doing this every day full time or maybe like really famous or not famous necessarily. And then I think maybe you even said like more of like your everyday average or, or you know, Swift Joe Coder kind of right. guy. Right. So, well, thank you so much for reaching out to me and agreeing to come on. And if if you are someone like that and you think, you know, your story is interesting and you might want to come on the podcast and share it, um, you know, don't be afraid. Hit me up because, you know, your story uh, gives power to other people when they hear it. So, all right. So enough uh, about how we met. What exactly are you up to right now? So you're a transactional attorney, um, and, and but you code on the side or how does that work? Yeah, I would say mostly uh, uh, a lot of times I'll write code early in the morning because I know it just seems that's, um, you know, a a time when your mind is the most clear. So I'll get up um, early, um, but yeah, also at night and also on the weekends. Um, And my jobs, um, it's pretty flexible um, so that if I have like a down, you know, hour or something like that, I could sometimes work on projects at at work and stuff like that. So yeah. so are you coding like once a day, at least once a week, more than once a week? Yeah, it kind of depends on what I'm working on. Um, when I'm working on a project, I would say um, I at least try to get in a half an hour to an hour um, per day. Usually sometimes I would say like the weekend sessions where I could I could get four hours, five hours is when I get, get the most work done. And what project are you working on? Do you have a specific one you're working on right now? Well, I just got finished. Um, I was shooting for um, October. I, I, I wrote uh, the the first game I've ever worked on. is uh, It's a it's a game kind of loosely uh, a, like a, a Flappy Bird esque type game called Flylight Zone. It's based on the Twilight Zone, which is like my all time favorite TV show. And um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to ship it on October second because that's it was the fifty seventh anniversary of the Twilight Zone. So um, that was the last thing that I've worked on. Did you meet your goal? I did, yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so tell us a little bit about uh, Flylight Zone. What's, what's that all about? Yeah, it, it, it just occurred to me, I, I've sort of how sometimes there's fan art, um, you know, that's sort of a, you know, some, a way that you kind of give back to, um, you know, something that you're interested in. Yeah, like I have a friend who really likes Rihanna. So she painted a picture of Rihanna and like it kind of went viral. And then somehow like she ended up shipping it to Rihanna and like Rihanna wanted it or something. Wow. So something like that, like fan. Right. Yeah, okay. so exactly. So that's what I was shooting for. So far, less uh, lacking the virality. But okay. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so um, it um it's, like a tribute, a tribute yeah, to the Twilight Zone. Exactly. And the cool part about it is, um, unlike the menu screen of the app, um, I have a, a button that you could watch Twilight Zone episodes by going <laughs> to the, you know, the iTunes store and watching them. So, you know, my thought was uh, if I introduced, you know, one, um, you know, kid to Twilight Zone that they've never heard of it before, then, you know, I've accomplished something. So, So is that through the iTunes affiliate program? Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So you have a little bit of experience with that. Yes. Okay. Awesome. What was it like working with that? 
Um, is it easy to get set up? It, yeah, it's been around for a while. I investigated it for another project I was working on a while back. Um, it's it's pretty simple. Yeah, it's just uh, kind of you just build uh, an affiliate link, you know, based on uh, I think there's a there's an approval required, but I don't think, you know, I think as long as you have some sort of a legitimate um, use um, that, you know, they'll grant your approval. Um, so just to explain the iTunes affiliate program, if you don't know already, you can, I guess, basically drive traffic to the iTunes store. And if people buy things because you drove them there, you get a commission or something like that? Yes, exactly. I think that's pretty good. I mean, you have people playing the Flylight Zone game and then they're like, oh, this is really fun. What is it? Oh, go click on the Twilight Zone. I love that or whatever. I want to check out this episode. Boom, you made a sale. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's there's definitely a synergy there, you know, between the, the game and then, you know, watching the media. How long did it take you to make this game? I would say, again, I, I don't work on sort of a full-time uh, schedule. So, uh, you know, based on my hours, about three, three and a half months. Oh, wow. That's great, man. That's yeah. awesome. So did you use any uh, game technologies like SpriteKit or SceneKit or anything like that? Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it is based on, um, it, it's, it's pretty much all in SpriteKit, and that was... That was kind of my first, you know, foray into that API. Uh, and then it does use SceneKit as well to switch between game states. Okay. Was SpriteKit pretty easy to work with? What was that like? Yeah, I um, I was a little, you know, I think being a non-game developer, then you think, okay, wow, I'm making a game. This is, it sounds intimidating. Right. But um, once you kind of get into it, you you see that obviously SpriteKit and Swift is a very high level uh, it's, you know, it's a high level language, it's a high level API. So, right. you know, if you want to do something that like no one's ever done before, then, you know, it's probably not the API to use, but, um, yeah, for this type of game, it was perfect. And I, I picked it up really easy, easily. So did you do have to do any drawing like with your hand or like on a like Photoshop or something and then import like your little sprite characters? Like I don't understand. How does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. Now I uh I, I do design, but I'm not an artist. So I actually had to hire um someone to illustrate and hand draw the art that's in the game. Okay. Um so basically they sent those to me as um PNGs. Okay. And which I was able to format into sketch, um, you know, into all the various, you know, sort of one X, two X, yeah, yeah, and you know, different, um, um, different types of assets that you need to submit to the store and that sort of thing, um, and yeah, and basically you just, just like you would in an iOS app, you know, you drag, um, just drag and drop into your assets folder. And then, uh, you know, whatever name you give it in the attributes inspectors is how you could call it in your code. Uh, did you, you said you hired a designer. Where did you find the designer? I actually, that's a great question. I actually was, I wanted someone who was kind of um, also a Twilight Zone fan. So I, <laughs> yeah, so I specifically searched Dribble for uh, someone who did work based on the Twilight Zone and I actually found someone. And did you just like, I mean, Dribble is meant for finding people and contacting them, right? Uh, yeah. To, to hire yeah. Them? I mean, my, okay. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, like I said, an artist, but my understanding is that's, that's sort of how you, uh, you know, put your art out there to show and, up, to share with others. And then you just like negotiated with him directly. Was it, was it pretty expensive or was he pretty reasonable or the person was pretty reasonable? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> again, not being an artist, it, it was fairly expensive, but, uh, I can't do it myself. So, right. uh, you know, I, I think it was well worth it. Um, okay, there you go, guys. If you're looking for a designer, Dribble might be your answer. And it sounds like in your case, it was worth it. Okay, so to be clear about SpriteKit, what are some of the things you used it for? So SpriteKit, like you uh, import your asset and then you create a sprite. Let's say like, let my sprite equal a sprite, you know, and initialize it with a name and then that grabs it from the asset. And then it like, it creates this sort of object that you can move around using the other SpriteKit APIs. Is that sort of what what it does? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. Like uh, you know, just for example, um, it's it's almost sort of an illusion because um, 
you know, like in this in this game, the Flylight Zone, which, like I said, if you, if you think about it, it's sort of loosely like a, like a Flappy Bird game. You know, your sprite, your main character sprite, is is on the screen and he moves up and down, but you sort of make the background start uh, just past the end of the iPhone screen on the right, and then it moves from right to left, and so it, it looks like you know your sprite is moving from left to right. It's actually you're moving the background. The background. Right, exactly. Okay, so is the background a sprite too, or is that a scene? Yeah, the background is also a sprite, uh, SK sprite node. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Would you say that if, um, let's say I'm an, uh, you know, just starting out and, uh, you know, even if I've been doing this for a little while, I've never worked with SpriteKit, is it something that's pretty easy to just kind of pick up and start working with and, and um, just start learning and and do you feel like learning how to work with SpriteKit like just really I don't know just beneficial and, and rewarding? Yeah, I I would say like if you want to um, you know just start making a game for a beginner, it would be the absolute best place to start. Awesome, I'm gonna give it a try. I never really worked with it, but mm -hmm. I've heard about it, and I don't know. Just making a game sounds so hard. I guess you kind of said that, but then. Right. You thought right. it was hard, too, but then you tried SpriteKit and it was easy. It right. Seems like. Yeah. And, and you'll probably put yourself in 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 this kind of the same perspective I have where it did sound a 2D game. You know, that sounded hard. OK, accomplish that. Now I'm starting to look at, you know, 3D games and, and that sounds really complex. But I'm sure that, you know, after, you know, building something, I'd, I'd think, oh, well, that's kind of easy, too. So. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I'm really impressed. Uh, that's awesome that you were able to build a game and you did it in three months. And, you know, I don't know, I'm just always impressed by um, all these developers that I meet um, that, you know, you're just doing it on the side too. And, like, I haven't even put an app in the App Store. I do this every day. I, I've gotten more sucked into, like, rather than shipping an app, which is, like, the whole reason in the first place was I wanted to make an app. Like, now I'm more into, like, the actual code and how I'm coding and architecture and stuff like that. But anyways, very impressed. And so I want to make sure we get some time to, to talk about like, why, like, how did you get into all this? And why did you get all, into all this? Like you're an attorney, like what happened? Why? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It, I, I don't know if it, if it makes as much rational sense as it should. Um, I was kind of late. I was kind of late to the iPhone. I, um, I had an, an Android, um, phone for several years when the first uh, several iterations of the iPhone came out. And I would, I think it was 2012, maybe I got my first iPhone. And it, it, it really was nothing more than just, you know, downloading some apps and then thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, this is great. Um, but these are some things I want to do with my device that I can't do. And I'm just the type of person who's like, I'll figure out how to do it, you know, rather than, you know, just asking somebody or trying to find, you know, find someone else to. So this was around 2012, you said? Well, that was, it was kind of evolution um, leading up. I, I didn't really begin iOS development until February of uh, 2015. Oh, wow. Very close to, to me, actually. Mine was January 2015. I mean, I tried for the first time um, January, 2014, but, uh, it was objective C, et cetera. Right. Okay. So, so you're starting to think about it in, in, uh, 2012, or at least you said you got the phone. Uh, when did you like first start thinking, Hey, maybe I'm going to try this. Um, I, okay. So that I would say that would be, um, sometime in 2014. Okay. Um, I started taking, uh, some online classes like the Harvard CS 50, um, just kind of getting my feet wet with some intro, intro courses. Um, there was another one uh, for MIT that used uh, Python. Um, I learned so just intro to programming because you don't have right. any programming experience prior to this. I don't. I, I took a um, I took a, a basic course. My mom worked at a, uh, a university uh, when I was five years old, um, and I was always technical, and you know, I built some websites over the years, and oh, okay. and that sort of thing. But never really, um, you know, never really wrote lines of code like 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 we would think of now. Um, so I, I learned some HTML, some CM, CSS, some JavaScript. At the time, um, I remember 
there is a, a, a lot of talk about write, uh, write once and, you know, it would work everywhere. Um, oh, right. Yeah. So like the, the Cordova, the yeah, phone, phone gap. gap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's why originally, because again, you know, people, people would say, well, you could write one app and it works on iPhone and Android. But, you know, as we found out, you know, by now that it really pays to be native uh, because Apple's, you know, APIs that come out so fast that it's, you just can't keep up. Right. So that was when I kind of, you know, dedicated myself to, you know, native iOS development. Oh, I see. Okay. So you were thinking about making apps 2014, you started just learning general programming, maybe cross-platform stuff. But then in February, 2015 is when you decided to, to go native and like learn, um, native iOS development. Yes. Okay, cool. So, so you had no prior programming experience before that, just like me. I mean, you said yeah a little bit with with HTML. It sounds like and stuff like that, which is yeah. cool. So, when you decided to learn, um, uh, you know, finally, like you know, go for it in in 2015. What was going on at the time, and like, why did you finally decide to just to just go for it? Yeah. Uh, great question. Well, like you said, um, this was. So this would have been the winter after the summer that Swift came out. Right. And I think, again, you listen to podcasts, you know, you, you, you read the blogs and, you know, I, I, a lot of people said, you know, if you're ever, if you're going to learn iOS, you know, now's the time, you know, now's the time to start with Swift because Apple just introduced a new language and, you know, it was, it's, it was a chance to, you know, sort of learn it and be at the same uh, level you know, that a lot of, um, experienced developers were since it was a new language. That's a really good point. I didn't think about it that way. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, they would still have more experience than, than brand new developers who are learning Swift, uh, you know, with UI kit or, or, you know, the actual APIs, but from a language standpoint, that's, that's really interesting. Like, yeah, I mean, don't give me, don't make your, I absolutely agree with you that having, you know, ha having as much knowledge as you can back to, next uh is beneficial for understanding the apis but um but no it, it really it was a great uh moment to sort of jump in if you, if you are new and it's still yeah, it still is so what was going on in your personal life uh, or like work life were you uh, an attorney at the time were you in school what was going on um yeah i'm i was an attorney which at the same job that i am sort of transactional um do a lot of real estate law and I've been doing that for geez, probably the past nine, nine years. I think I've been licensed. I've been practicing for 10 years. So, oh, wow. yeah. So it's sort of almost on autopilot. I want to say, um, that, you know, it's not really challenging, I guess is my biggest kind of complaint with, um, being a lawyer. Um, you know, it's not challenging at all. Like programming is so, right. Yeah. I think I was okay. lo looking for something and, and kind of found it. Yeah, yeah. Can you describe that, actually? Uh, let's say, you know, you're starting to learn iOS development, you're starting to learn Swift, and, you know, you're doing your normal day job, but then you, what, go home at night and, and you're working on Swift. Like, describe yes. that feeling. Um, yeah, well, it was, it was um, I definitely caught on quick. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was, it was, it was very confusing at first. It was very intimidating. Um, but I, I, I will say that the, the, um, um, the, the Stanford CS 193 P course, right. Um, you know, I came across that and, um, as, as they were being released that winter, you know, I, I would watch and do the assignments and I was really, I wanted to make sure that, okay, I was going to, this was, you know, I was going to learn Swift. I was going to learn iOS. I wanted to learn it the correct way and not just maybe some random tutorial on YouTube and, and not know if it's, you know, good code habits. Right. Yeah. So that, I think I was very fortunate to have fallen into that class because the instructor, um, Paul, um, is just phenomenal. And, um, I think it really gave me a lot of good uh, foundation, fundamental habits early on. So what I'm kind of hearing is that you, you know, you really were enjoying uh, learning programming, 
Um, and then the, the attorney stuff is sort of on autopilot, maybe not as challenging, but with the coding, you are getting, you know, you are very challenged, you know, your mind is challenged, et cetera. Like, to me, it would seem you'd have to kind of compartmentalize or, I don't know, prioritize or just like somehow say, okay, I'm going to work. I need to do this. Let me go do my work stuff and not think about this thing that I'm doing on the side that I kind of maybe enjoy more slightly um, and then go home and then you're like, okay, now I'm going to work on this thing that I like. I mean, how did, like, how do you sort of rationalize that in your head? Like you have a steady job and a steady income. Is that what it is? Or how, how do you rationalize yeah, it's, or it's compartmentalize? De- it's definitely very steady. And I think, that, I think there's just some personality types where I'm, I'm not happy. I don't feel fulfilled unless I'm sort of working towards something. And at the time I really wasn't working, you know, building anything. And it was just uh, sort of the next thing, the next outlet um, that I could, you know, sort of, um, you know, have that feeling. And I still do. Um, um, like I said, I'm not working on a project right now at, the, at, at this as we speak, but um, just getting done with that that game. Um, it's, I, it's definitely I, I enjoy having, you know, a project I'm working on, a goal and then completing it. You know, I'm, I guess I'm wondering, and it's just reminding me of one of my previous guests. Man, I'm trying to remember. He was um, in like more of marketing and he learned Swift in, uh, like in, you know, three months, I think he had an app ship. And for, for me, when I first started learning, it was never like I was going to be a developer, right? It was more like I'm just building something. And then I fell in love with it and now I'm a developer. And so to think, to kind of think the opposite is like, uh, like that I, wouldn't be a developer is so weird. I can't think that way. But I guess what I want to try to get across to, to people out there is, you know, it's okay to just do it as a side thing, right? To As it to be a, a hobby. Like, uh, let's say you, you're, you know, you have your job, and then you start doing development, and you're like, Oh, this is really fun. You don't necessarily have to make the leap and say, I'm going to quit my day job and be a developer, right? You can just do it on the side, which is what you're doing. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's I think it's it's partially also a credit of just, you know, sort of how fortunate we are and the tools that we have in, um, you know, 2016. Um, and it's, you know, some of the outreach that Apple does um, that that these things are as accessible as they are and that someone like myself, someone like you um, could, could, you know, could sort of learn it themselves. Um, and not, you know, have a CS degree from MIT or Carnegie Mellon. Um, yeah, 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 I totally agree. Okay. So what was, what was, uh, sort of your mindset or like, how did you go about learning? Um, so it's, let's say it's February, 2015. Like, what do you do? You just Google like how to be an iOS developer or what did you do? And like, what was your mindset going into it? Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, I think there's so much, uh, na- I was very naive. Um, and looking back, I think, you know, if you were a beginner right now, you think, okay, why well, if I could learn Swift, then I could probably build an app. Um, of course, looking back now, I would think that, I would say that there's, there's sort of four areas that um, you need to master. Swift is just the language that right. you use. You need to understand Xcode and your IDE. Right. Um, the biggest thing probably is, is Apple's APIs and, and UI kit and, yep. you know, core location, core graphics. And then I would say, you know, if you're going to ship apps, even the app store, uh, submission process and iTunes connect is, is, is its own sort of area of, you know, mastery that's needed. Um, so it, it, when I go back to, uh, you know, 2000 winter of 2015, I didn't understand any of that. And I just thought, right. I just thought if I learned Swift, that's all I needed. Right. Um, so it's cause nobody really explains that. And I, I remember feeling, well, I, I remember feeling overwhelmed. And then when I sort of understood at least enough, and then I look back, I'm like, okay, these are the things I did not realize. And then had I known these things, I would um, have felt better. And so I actually wrote a guide about this, which I've probably talked on, about multiple times on the podcast. But I mentioned um, all those things you just said. Plus, um, I talk a little bit about like architecture, like MVC, oh, delegation, sure. right? Yeah. But you're totally right. I call them the five pillars or the five tools. Like these are the five things that you need to focus on. And that's it. Forget everything else for now. 
Um, you're totally right. And no one really says that. Like, oh, hey, welcome. You want to be an iOS developer? Well, don't worry about anything else. Just focus on Swift, Xcode, the you know Apple frameworks. I mentioned the developer library. So where you go to learn about the frameworks, I divide those up. And then, you know, MVC and delegation. Like, no one says that. Yeah. And I remember just the, the first time I ever downloaded Xcode, which at the time I think was Xcode 6. And um, I just had no idea, <laughs> you know, what what was what or... Um, what can you press? Yeah. What can't you press? What was Interface Builder and the storyboard and, and why why would you do... Why would you create a button, on, you know, in a storyboard, but then another time you would create it in code? And when would you want to do one versus the other, you know? So what did you do? How did you overcome all that? Well, I really can't say enough about that that Stanford course because the uh, poly instructor, everything that he works on, um, I mean, he starts out with a calculator app and then he goes through um, some more um, advanced apps. But everything that he works on, he starts from scratch. It's like, okay, Xcode, new project. He never... He never says, okay, well, you know, I've, I've worked this halfway through and now we're going to finish it. So by, by watching that, you could see from start to finish everything that was required to make that app. And that I think was kind of the, the best, uh, the most enlightening thing that I, that I, uh, learned. One of the things I love about the Stanford course is he would always, um, d like he would, um, start a new project and then he would delete uh, like the view controller file or something. He would like delete right. one of the files and then he would create a new one. Yes. And I was like, that's cool because you can see like, maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't delete that. Like, can I delete that? And uh, I would always stress that at my meetups. Like, these are the things you can delete. Maybe you, you know, maybe you can't touch those. I've never touched those over there. But like these ones you can click and press, you know, because I think when you open Xcode, there's just so many buttons right. and things and you don't know what you can touch and break. And, you know, so I think that's uh, was, that was really good uh, that he would do that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Apple, like if um, like a really good example of that is like the page view controller, which I think if you drag it out, it has you know, like four or five view controllers and they're trying to save you some steps by, you know, but if you're a beginner, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's better to start from scratch and, and then you understand what, what each view controller is doing. I think that Apple has been improving though on sort of getting their developer outreach, um, out there. I, um, like if you notice on their website, you can go directly to, uh, the developer page now, um, Assuming that there's like an advertisement, they have like, you know, maybe like an ad for Swift Playgrounds or or something like that. Whereas before you couldn't do that. Um, and now okay. with the Swift, the Swift. Yeah, like I guess the point is like before you if you went to Apple's website, there was nothing on Apple's website that that said, hey, you can be a developer. Right. But if you go to Apple's website now, there might be um, something, maybe Swift Playgrounds related or. Um, I don't know, accessibility related or something. There might be something on there that kind of leads you to developer.apple.com. And so I think there's some things that they're doing um, that are make that it's, it's just making it more accessible, which is kind of what you mentioned about um, how it's it's a testament to Apple, how, how uh, accessible they make it. People like you and I can become developers. Right, right. So what did you do? Um, like, did you work through the whole Stanford course or what did you do like after the Stanford course? Yeah, I think I did. I think I worked all the way through it. Um, and then at some point, uh, you know, took the plunge into like my first app. And I think the first, uh, I, di I didn't ship it or anything, but the first app I ever wrote that, that kind of did something was it was a, an iPhone and a watch app that, uh, it was just a, a, a picker, um, and you would select the year, and it would tell you who won the Super Bowl for that year. Cool. You said it's an Apple Watch app, too? Yeah, and that, that was like right around when WatchOS 1 came out. So, um, you know, I just kind of did it on both. And awesome. Is it still in the App Store? I, I never did ship it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think it was. Uh, there were some other similar uh, in the store already, so I kind of moved okay. on. Okay. So how did it go? Did it actually, I mean, did you make it, did you make it sort of like uh, complete to completion or? Yeah, it, it worked. Um, yeah, it worked pretty well. Like I said, it was just sort of a little, um, 
just a way to kind of get my feet wet. I think the first thing that I actually shipped to the store um, that uh, and made for sale was just because of uh, um, my day job, I'm, I do a lot of real estate closings here in Maryland and Pennsylvania, and there weren't any closing cost calculators for for those two states. So, okay. so the, yeah, my first two apps in the store um, was a closing cost closing cost calculator for Maryland and Pennsylvania. Cool. Hey, you know, one thing I'm thinking is like, what do your friends or your family members or your coworkers like? Do they know that you are a um, a superhero by night? Um, I'm kidding. I was developer by night, and what do they say at all? Do they do they say anything or? Yeah, I, I mean, my parents are very supportive. Um, I've always kind of been, you know, someone who's, um, you know, sort of um, does my own thing. And um, so I don't think it's anything new for them that, you know, their son who's a lawyer would start coding. Um, but yeah, my friends as well. I don't know. I, I think, you know, it used to be maybe a few years ago that if you were, you know, a quote unquote app developer, um, you know, that people might think that you're making a lot of money. Um, I, I think they probably understand now that those days aren't aren't what they used to be. Um, you mean like an indie app developer? Yeah, or in in you know in this this you know really mature app store that we're in. So then, for you, coding is it just a hobby or is it like do you do you see yourself coding for I don't know in five ten years? Do you think you'll still be coding? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I, I I like this. I like indie development. Um, I like you know calling my own shots and be able to make my own decisions and not have you know um, co-founders and that sort of thing that have to uh, get approvals from. Um, but like I just said, it's it's such a mature. The iPhone is such a mature product. The App Store is such a mature market that I also feel like if, if you if you're going to be competitive with some of these, you know, some like take the game, right? Some of these, um, you know, really popular games, you, you, you kind of need a, a pretty big team of developers to, you know, put out a product that that's in line with the quality that their their products are. But what about just being an indie developer and making, let's say, like an app for, I don't know, a local pizza company? They want an app to make it easier for their customers to like order pizza. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I have I have meetup members who are uh, who are aspiring indie developers. Like they just want to be their own boss, and they're actually getting clients like through my meetup. Um, you know, there's just people who want apps like. Uh, what about that? I mean, have you thought about be, uh, doing something like that? Or yeah, I mean, I com- I completely get that. I personally am not, at least right now, interested in client work, just because I'm sort of I'm sort of product focused. Um, I, I I really enjoy creating things. A lot of my apps are sort of utility apps that are serving a need of mine that an existing app didn't fulfill. So um, I would say that's kind of my kind of my, um, you know, goal as a developer is, uh, I really enjoy kind of finding a, a niche that's, that's unfulfilled in the app store and working on something myself. And why is that? Like what sort of, what's the whole reason behind that? Is it a passion? Like it just brings you joy, you like building things like what's, you know, why? I don't know if it's, uh, being a control freak, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, another example, um, probably the first big app that I really worked on was, uh, it's an app called threads and it was, I, um, you've probably had this problem too, where across several, uh, clothing stores, I wear like a different polos, uh, um, polo shirt size. Okay. And, and I, I would never remember you know, okay, if I'm in American Eagle, I wear a small, but if I'm in Banana Republic, I wear a medium. So, okay. so yeah, so I, I made this app called Threads, and the biggest thing about it was it had a watch app because I thought, oh, this will be great. I'm I'm shopping, and I could just look at my watch, tap on a store, and see what size shirt or jeans I wear there. Right. So, so yeah, so that's just an example of, uh, you know, it, it was something that I was trying to solve a problem that I myself had and then thought, okay, well, I'll also ship it to the store and maybe there's other people, you know, in my same situation. 
So when you get a an idea, how do you decide whether or not you're going to um, you know pursue it? That is a great question. Um, I think I think on a podcast I heard this, so I, I don't want to take credit for it, but um, I, this is how I think of these things now. Is sort of if you look at this, look at it in a in a quadrant of. Um, I think it's sort of monetization potential, um, and then um, you know from a, a among a spe- along a spectrum, and then the development time. So something that's like you know really hard to build, but would never really make any money. You know, obviously you would probably say, well, it's not a great idea. But if you if you could come across something that's relatively easy to build, but um, maybe you know appeals to a, a wide market. Um, and, and therefore, you know, could be, you could monetize it, um, is sort of the best scenario to be in as a developer. I like that. Uh, I wonder who said that maybe it was Gilbert Osborne, who I mentioned before was, uh, the marketing guy who, uh, you know, marketing sales guy who, you know, made an app in like three, three months or something like that. Maybe he said that cause that just sounds like something he would say. Um, okay. So you look at this quadrant and you're like, okay this could potentially make money and it won't take that long to build. That's like, definitely you're going to make it. So then what do you do? Like, how do you go about sort of making the project a reality? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that we all hear terms like, um, proof of concept, minimal viable product, MVP. Um, I think, I guess that's my philosophy rather than, you know, it's easy to kind of jump into a project and, and try to make it perfect. But, um, you know, I think that the, the best thing to do to be the most time efficient is to get the product out the door, um, working in at least, you know, the one major, um, feature that you're trying to produce and, right. and, 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 and sort of just get it in the store, get it in people's hands and see, okay, is it just me or do, do other people think that's a good idea? And, and, and then, you know, sometimes, you know, if you do strike, um, you know, strike gold with a good idea, then you could, you know, in subsequent iterations, you know, work on the design and additional features and that sort of thing. But I think that's the best way to go about it. So when you were first learning uh, Swift and iOS development, do you remember what came the most uh, easy the easiest thing I think was just sort of, um, the fundamentals of Swift, because like I said, since I, you know, I, I sort of know just enough objective C just to sort of look at it. Um, and, and even some of the most, um, the easiest lines of code in objective C though, <laughs> I just don't think are very readable. Uh, and I just think, you know, Swift is such a, a readable language that you could just look at something someone else wrote and, and right away get a, a a grasp of what you know what's the code's doing yeah i agree that's one of the things i love about swift it is it's uh, very readable um and uh, you know i was just talking to erica sadoon actually about um making you know swift style in uh the way you write swift uh, encouraging readability you know you can write swift in a way that's not readable but um i think the the way the the language was written, it like encourages almost like forces readability, but, um, yeah, I definitely agree. tried, definitely try to make, um, code readable. And it's really fun to, to focus on that. Uh, we talked a little bit about one of the difficulties that you had, um, which I also had, um, when you were just starting out, which was like kind of getting a sense of what were the important things, um, to, to learn. Do you remember anything else that was really difficult when you were just starting out? I remember starting <laughs> down the core data path um, on that um, the app that I was saying about threads about I, w- I was going to save you know these these strings of data um, uh, you know what size clothes you wear at what store and it occurred to me okay well core data might be a good way um, and at the time I know it's it's gotten easier um, since they've 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 gotten rid of a lot of the boilerplate code. But at the time, for a beginner, it was just almost impossible to learn, I would say, core data. Yeah, it's pretty hard. Uh, it yeah. can be pretty hard. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I ended up falling into Parse. And oh, cool. Yeah. And that app used Parse, which was the exact opposite in that, it, you know, Parse was a, 
you know, was this third party library that, that is so high level, it, it does everything for you. So does Parse also store it locally or did it also store locally on the device? Uh, at the time, at the time I remember it, it had a, uh, it had a local cache, but I had issues getting it to work. I think it has like this, it has like a PF user object and maybe you can like store data on the PF user or something. Yes. And it, yeah. Maybe that stores locally. I only worked with parts a little bit. Yeah. I mean, at the time when I worked on it, um, it, you know, in, in a perfect, the, the perfect scenario was that you're trying to, to save your data locally, um, in case someone was in a store and they didn't have, you know, cell phone coverage. And then, Maybe they go out to the middle of the mall, they get their network back, and then it will sync up to the cloud. But in practice, at the time, I had it. I had trouble getting that to work as well that that well. So I guess sort of the lesson would be, you know, if you're struggling with one, you know, framework or API, see if maybe there's an alternative. Um, and you know, often like third-party frameworks are easier. I mean, that's the whole point. Usually, is they're easier to work with. Um, than, you know, than what's underneath. And, you know, maybe if you are struggling, you know, go ahead and use a, a third party library. And then once you're comfortable with that, maybe try to learn what's under the hood. Although it'll probably be not as fun to work with, right? It's usually like the way it is. These like third party libraries are usually like way more fun. Well, I was going to say I that I agree, but I think the the opposite lesson of that also came out, right? Of that, that, that parse coordinated dichotomy is that parse is not going to be around after this right. January. So if you sort of, if you, you know, if you, if you create this third party dependency, right, that's not Apple, you know, then you can't really, um, you know, have, have total confidence that it's, it's going to exist. Whereas had, you know, had I chosen core data, I wouldn't have to migrate anything. <laughs> So are you, um, are you planning to learn anything new or I guess, do you have any project, like a new project that you're uh, going to be working on? Cause I guess, yeah, you're like your project or app based. Do you have any new ideas that you're kind of thinking about? Yeah, I, I do. I have some ideas that sort of transcend, uh, just iOS development. Um, some, some, um, it's, it's what's way in the future. So I don't really want to commit to anything, but sort of a, not so much an app, but a platform. Cool. Um, but specifically in iOS, I really enjoyed uh, making a game. I really enjoy working with SpriteKit, and I, I definitely wanna would like to get in and learn more about um, making a 3D game. So let's say you're gonna sit down and you're gonna learn um, how to make a 3D game. Uh, like, what's your favorite way to go about learning something new? What do you use? How do you do it? Um, good question. I would say uh, I went to last March. I went to the uh, the Ray Wunderlich uh, conference. It, it was oh wow. Yeah, it was in DC here. Oh, that's right. It is. It's over there. How was that? Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, if you're was it was it expensive? Uh, I think it was maybe eight hundred. Oh wow. Yeah. How long is it? Um, it was a weekend. Oh, okay. That's so it's yeah. it's a conference for the whole weekend. So that's yeah. worth it. Eight hundred bucks. But it's pretty cool because if if you're familiar with how the the Ray Wonderlook tutorials work, you know, you sort of, um, start at the beginning and, um, you know, you, you, you open a project from scratch and then by the end of the tutorial, you know, you've created a sample app. Right. And yeah. I used the Ray Wenderlich, uh, iOS apprentice to like really get me very far. Yeah. Actually. It's really, it's really quality. Uh, I think that the team there, you know, does a really good job of, of, you know, hiring some, you know, some of the best technical talent, um, in, in the iOS, you know, um, in, in our field and, um, and the conference was, was, you know, that's how it worked too, is, is, you know, you would start with, um, a demo project and then the speaker would walk you through it and then you'd, you'd have a finished project at the end of the hour. Okay, so the conference, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Saturday, Sunday? What was it? Do you remember? I think it was Saturday and Sunday. Okay, and it's like all day, both days? Yeah. How many uh, like sessions did you have the opportunity to go to? Um, it's like most conferences where you have, uh, it's a multi-track. Um, this was a beginner, intermediate, and expert, and you could sort of go in between the tracks. Um, so I think... 
at some you know every hour there is either an ongoing session or a lab so i guess maybe in there like an hour long let's say an hour yeah. long each or yeah yeah so you could go to maybe like six a day or yeah like six a day at most maybe or what yeah something like that yeah like three in the morning take lunch break three in the okay so right. do you remember anyone in particular uh from that weekend that you really enjoyed um the 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 one that I remember the most was um I can't remember. There's a there's a podcast When wh when was this? This was in March. Oh, of the, of just this year. Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and one of the sort of the guest hosts on the I think it's the More Than Just Code podcast. He he worked for Ray Wonderlick and um Tim Tim Mitra. No, it's um Greg Heo. Greg Heo. Okay, thank you, Gary. Sure. Greg Heo <laughs> gave a talk, and I've always liked you know listening to him or when I've seen him on YouTube videos. But he gave a talk on Swift, and it was the intermediate Swift talk. And I just I love the way that he sort of presents information. He speaks in a slow way, and um, that was probably my my favorite uh, talk there. Did you get a chance to meet him? I didn't. No. No. He's uh he's a pretty big uh, guy in the Swift world. I should probably have him on the podcast. He is going to be at Swift Summit, I believe, this uh this coming week. I'm going to be going to that conference. Yeah, he's um like I said, he's he's excellent, and I th I think he went on to work at Facebook. Yeah, I think you're right. What was that like though, going to that conference overall? Was it pretty cool? Would you recommend you know to people? Would you go again? It was cool. You know, I think it got probably the, the biggest difference between um you know me here in, like I said, Western Maryland, and maybe you uh, in LA or somebody in the Bay Area is I don't really have a chance on a day to day basis to, you know, talk to other people about Swift and code and those sorts of things. So um, it was it was it was it was really enjoyable to get to meet, you know, similar um, people with similar backgrounds. And, and we we're all, um, you know, just hear what they're working on. So you live in like a somewhat isolated area. There are no like coding meetups or anything like that. No, no. I I think um, like I said, DC is uh, about three hours east of me. And from what I understand, there's a pretty um, budding um, you know iOS community um, in in DC. So yeah, I mean, I can imagine you're you know you're a part of the community, but at the same time, you're somewhat isolated. So what would you say to other people who are in that situation uh, if they want to get connected with uh, people in the community? Like, do you have any experience with that? I mean, one way, for instance, you contacted me and here you are, we're talking, right? So what are some other ways that you sort of get connected? You went to this conference. Do you have any other advice? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think we're such a an online society that um, um, I'm also a member of that um the, the really popular iOS developer Slack channel. Right. So um, that's another way of, you know, meeting and talking to people about your code. But but I think the conference is, uh, you know, maybe WWDC or, um, you know, some of the others would is are, are great ways to, you know, if you could afford it, obviously. Right on, right on. Have you had a chance to go to any, um, like, iOS developer meetups ever? Like, if you're ever in D.C. or something like that? No, that that, that was my first conference. Um, I, I would like to go to uh, WWDC at some point. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, that, that would be, like, the top of my list. I'd pretty. It would be cool to go to was it RW DevCon. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it. Were there a lot of people? Hmm. Yeah, I, I I mean I would say I wouldn't want to guess, but um, I would I, mean, I would say at least five hundred. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, yeah. that's a lot. Okay, cool. So there's a bunch of people out there right now who are you know they're learning, they're looking to uh, this you know to this podcast and other resources for um, you know for just advice for inspiration. Um, what do you say to someone who's in your situation, a similar situation there, they have a full-time job, um, but they're thinking about making an app, um, but they're just not sure. They don't know if they can do it or if they should do it. Um, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah. Um, I would say absolutely 
think of something that you want to build and just start working on it. Um, you know, even if it's, you know, the world never sees it and you never ship, you're not, you know, there's nothing you could do wrong. Um, and you know, the first time that, you know, you build and run Xcode and you see, um, you know, whatever your app does, you see it doing it for the first time, uh, I think you'll be hooked. Um, the, the other thing I would say is just that I think in 2016, there's almost too many sources of information, whether it's Twitter and blogs and YouTube videos. And I think you could really get bogged down sort of learning constantly and never doing. And, mm -hmm. and I would, I would focus, focus on, on doing and building and just learning at, at, as you, as you go, as you need to, to learn a new API. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great uh, point. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm going to decide to start, you know, like I'm going to do it, you know, what do I do? How do I, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy. I have, I have a wife, I have kids or I have a husband and I have kids or whatever, I'm a busy girl, whatever it is. Um, how do I, like, what should I do? Like, how do I do it? How do I make time? Like, what, what, what do you, do you have any advice in that area? Yeah, I would, you know, like, like anything, I would just dedicate at least an hour a day um, to just, you know, something IRS related. Um, the, the place that I would start, like, like I did, I would start with that Stanford course. It's free. It's on iTunes U. Um, iOS nine was covered last, um, the, the, the current class that's in iTunes U was iOS nine. And, um, I'm not sure, but if they, if they follow the way they've been doing it this, this coming winter, they'll cover iOS 10. And I would start with that because, like I said, I think it establishes really good uh, fundamentals. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about um, some of your apps. We're we're getting uh, to the to the end here, and I want to learn a little bit more about I don't know just your projects. Like, so it's let's see. Oh, we talked about like uh, you mentioned offline before we started. Like weather, you have like these weather apps. Also, yeah. the Pinterest one. Let's talk about those real quick. Tell us about like this whole. You said you like weather models or something like that. Yeah, sure. I um, I've always kind of been a um, interested in the weather since I was a kid. I would like track uh, like hurricanes on my wall in my room, and um, what? yeah, and I, I took some I took some classes. I went to Penn State for undergrad, and I took some some meteorological classes. Um, so it's always kind of been another hobby, and um, there are I built two apps um, for both for iOS and Apple TV. One of them um, is just a, a better um, display of weather maps. Um, I, I think the app, I'm pretty sure it's, it's on, on both TBS and iOS, it's called Weather Maps. And um, it's just a sort of a Tinder-esque swipe um, through the latest weather models that are available from, um, that's the GFS model and the NAM model, um, which are government models. and. Um, the maps are online, so I just sort of ported them to the iPhone and um, to the Apple TV. Are these uh, weather models? Is that like those colorful, moving, swirling things that we see all the time? Um, if you're thinking a lot of color, you're probably thinking of something that's private, third party. Um, these are sort of white, and then you know you'll see like the fronts and um, the isobar lines, and um, they're pretty crude, but again, because they're put out by the government, you know, somebody like me can make an app. Um, so what API are you using? Is there like a web service that you're using for that? Yeah. Th well, those are just sort of pulling them, um, and displaying them in a, um, a web view. Where are you pulling them from? Oh, okay. So you're just hitting, you're hitting like the URL directly. You're not hitting like a web service using, exactly. it's like a RESTful API or something right. like that. Okay, cool. And then what's the Pinterest one? Um, it's actually a funny story. So last Christmas, my, my mom, who is a, a pretty heavy Pinterest user, um, she commented to me that she's, she has a real problem with, you know, let's say she has a board that is, um, um, you know, recipes and she has a real problem when she pins something and then like a year or two goes by and she goes to look at that recipe and the link is broken. Okay. okay. So I'm thinking, well, geez, that sounds like something I could solve programmatically. So, okay. so yeah, so it actually, it was, it was harder than it is because some people have, um, you know, Pinterest has an API and, 
And I went and I, um, you know, I could pull down your boards, I could pull down your pins, but um, it's, 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 it's a really heavy process on the iPhone. Um, so it, it was a pretty complex app, but, but basically what it does is it, 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 you know, goes to Pinterest, asks, which is a RESTful API, asks for your boards, takes all the pins from uh, a board and then runs it through an URL session um, and checks um, a number of things, but pretty much for status codes. Okay. And um, yeah, so anything that, you know, comes back a 404, then I display, you know, I have a UI that displays that as, um, as broken. Okay. And then how does that help the user? What do they do? Well, um, that, that app is, it's free and they could tap on the pin, open the Pinterest app and they could delete it. But, uh, it, it's, I also have an in-app purchase called pin fix. And okay. yeah, so if they, if that's, you know, enabled, then what it does is, uh, if you click on the fix it button, it, it, it takes that pin and then basically does a Google search looking for uh, a website similar to what you originally pinned and then it will replace it for you on that board. Wow. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So you're pulling in, uh, you're using um, Pinterest API web service or whatever, uh, endpoint, to pull in the, uh, the pins. You're doing a Google search like through the phone somehow, like in the background? It, or? it uses Google's um, search API. Wow. Okay. I didn't know they had something like that. Okay. And is it is it in the background or the user hits fix it and then it kind of just does it right there while they're looking at their phone? It just does it right there. Okay. And then it it somehow finds it. That seems pretty interesting. Like kind of like how do you decide if it's like a valid like, okay, this one looks good. How do you do that? Well, it's actually interesting because what I'm using is the description of your pin and I'm doing, you know, basically a text search, um, which works and you know, I, I would say like maybe 60, 70% of the time it'll, it'll find what you had originally pinned. But wow. for me to do it really well, um, Google deprecated their reverse image search API. And, mm. um, because a lot of times when you pin something, it might be like a, a funny mem. So it's not, there's not really a description. It's, 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 you want that picture, right? So, okay. so that's why if, if I were able to use, and I'm, I'm still looking for, you know, if I ever come across an API that I could use, but if I could use a, a reverse image search, then it would, it would, it would capture that, you know, 40 and that other 30 or 40%. Wow. That's pretty impressive. So how would you say, uh, Pinterest and Google searches APIs, are they pretty easy to work with? Would you recommend it to somebody if they need to learn how to interact with a RESTful API, maybe that's a good place to get started? Yeah, no, I will say I struggle because Pinterest, um, uh, they, it's still an Objective-C. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I had to do quite a bit of, um, you know, using those sites, uh, the conversion sites, not, okay. not for my code, but just to see what their SDK was doing. Right. Yeah. Wow, look at you, man, learning some Objective-C sort of kind of. That's pretty Yeah, cool. I mean, that's learning the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. All right, Gary, so we are at the end of this wonderful episode. But before we go, I want to ask you a couple things. Uh, the first is, where can people contact you online, if, if at all? Uh, can they tweet you, email you, anything like that? Yeah, I'm just, I'm at Gary Sabo on Twitter. Cool. And then I'll also link to uh, all your apps uh, on the App Store. Okay. All right. And the very last uh, question is, um, you know, it's out, it's for all the people out there who are just, you know, they just need a piece of advice from you, Gary. They're out there. They're doing their thing. And they just need some inspiration. They need a little help from Gary. So uh, it's one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. Okay, I, I would just say that um, my inspiration has always been Steve Jobs, and he had the famous, the famous quote, real artists ship. And, you know, you could work on something, but and, until you put it out into the world, you know, no one else knows that you're working on anything. So I would just say to, to, to make sure that you ship. And, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show uh, this evening, you know, telling us about 
um, you know, how you started uh, learning, well, you were interested maybe in 2012 because you had, um, I think, an Android phone. You were like, the mobile's kind of cool, and you maybe you were learning kind of cross-platform stuff. And then in 2005, you were like, now's the time. Swift is out, and you just, uh, you just went for it, and you worked on... Um, that what was the Apple Watch and the the World not the World Series the Super Bowl app right uh, that's cool and cool. Uh, yeah and then you just shipped uh, I mean twelve apps like I don't know are, are, did you do like an iMessage like sticker app like you did like 10, 10 of those is that why you have twelve apps like what did you do like, yeah you apps? I do have three sticker apps just to you know I oh, only three yeah just to you know I, I wanted to see what they were about but um, yeah those are easy so. Yeah. And so I don't know. And but you're, you know, you're a transactional attorney by day and you're shipping apps uh, by night. You're an inspiration to us all. Keep doing your thing. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing that with us. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, hope all goes well. I hope you can make some sales on that uh, fly, uh, fly white, fly white zone. Fly light zone. Fly, yeah. Fly light zone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So good luck with all that. And uh, I'll talk with you later. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Garrick. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Swift Coders.